1: Good afternoon and welcome to Soul to Soul. Always wonderful to be with you and to share some Torah ideas on a Wednesday afternoon. Um, and so it's wonderful to share with you today. And today is the 17th of ER. That's the Hebrew date, 17th of ER. It is the 18th of May 2022, the 17th of ER 5782 in the Jewish calendar. And it is an important day, and today and tomorrow are a significant day, so there's lots to talk about. Um, and f- so firstly today, today is the yurtzat of Rabbi Yecheskel Landau, known as the Neude Be Yehuda. He was born in 1713, and he died in 1793 at the age of 80. Uh, okay. He was born in Poland and became the chief rabbi of Prague, um, which was a very powerful and influential community at the time. He authored, he was a great genius and authored many famous for him. Um, he auth- authored a work on the Shulchan Aruch, a commentary on the Shulchan Aruch called Dagul Meravava. Um, he authored a work called Slach, which is a commentary on the Talmud, on the Gemara. And he was a very powerful figure, very influential figure. He, uh, a very brilliant person who was, who is loved and admired by those of his time um, there's a famous story about him getting up early in the morning Godaven, and uh, since he was in Prague in uh, Prague, you know in Europe It's not very warm in winter. We're beginning to feel the winter chills over here. So um, He the 8 said to him, you know, why are you getting up so early? It's freezing cold It's dark outside stay in bed. It's so warm in here so he he writes that um he realized in his mind that he said to the Yetzirah, he's like a lower part of himself, well, you're up and doing your job, so why shouldn't I get up and do my job? And such was the brilliance of his self-awareness and of the inner strivings, the inner pools within himself that he was able to raise himself above his lower self and achieve his tremendous potential. He was also somebody who was involved um, on a leadership level in terms of dealing with the government, and Dealing with anti-semitic attacks against the Jews in Poland and in and where he was in Prague Czechoslovakia um, we know that uh, Europe has a longer dark history of anti-semitism um, And uh, there was one incident where one night very late at night He heard a knock on his door and he went to his door and it was the Baker in the neighborhood and the Baker said to him um, Please be careful. There's a plot to poison poison the Jews um, if they buy bread tomorrow, um, because there are certain anti-Semites that want to, to kill the Jews. And uh, I just wanted to warn you. The reason why the baker reached out to Rabbi Landa was many, many years earlier. He had helped him tremendously and showed him tremendous compassion in a certain incident in his life. And so he owed him, he felt he owed him this one to uh, give him the heads up about the plot that had been um, designed to kill thousands of Jews. So that that's just one legendary story about the Nota But he's known for his brilliance and his leadership, and uh, his amazing works that um he wrote. Um, and so today is his yotzat. Um, he died in the year 1793. And then we move on to tomorrow. So in other words, tonight and tomorrow, from sunset tonight, um, is the wonderful day of Lagbo Omer Is the is the 8, 33rd day of the Omer, but it's also the, um, well, of course, why is Lagbo Omer significant? So from uh, the sunset tonight, is 527. From 527 tonight is the 18th of ER The 18th of ER is the Yotzat of two great people. One is Rabbi Shimabaya Chai, who lived 2000 years ago. And one is uh, the Ramor of Moshe Isilis who lived 500 years ago. So let's talk about both of them. So let's start out talking about the Ramah, and then we will talk about Rabbi Shum Yechai. and why Lagobo Omer is an important day, why it's a day that we celebrate, and what is the depth behind these celebrations. So firstly, let's talk about the Ramah, because your Saturday is tonight and tomorrow. The Ramah was one of the greatest Jews in the last 500 years. Um, the Ramah was born in 1530 um, in Krakow, in Poland, and uh, he became the rabbi of Krakow. Um, he, he, uh, I've actually had the great honor and privilege of going to Krakow and of going to the Ramaz Shul in Krakow. And, uh, you know, you dive in from the place where the Ramaz stood, which is a very powerful experience. And right next to the Shul is the cemetery. Um, where he is buried. He's buried next to his father. That's actually, by the way, where the Toisos Yom is buried as well, which is very significant. Actually, the Toisos Yom is a deep family connection. My wife is a direct descendant of the Toisos Yom So he's buried in the same cemetery as the Ramo in Krakow. Um, so the reason why the Ramo is, is such a legendary figure within Klai or within the Jewish people, is because he wrote the notes on the Shokanak. Well, I'll explain what that means in a moment. Um, the, but his influence... In the jewish world was absolutely immense so for example there's a pasuk in the torah that says B'nei ramah, that the klayishol um they left klayishol they left mitzrayin biyad ramah so that pasuk uh, yad ramah means um a lifted hand a raised hand uh, but in the torah the word ramah is resh memhe which means the raised hand but well, it's used you know in a play of words that klayishol yoitsi that they um, fulfill their halachas in the Torah, beyad ramah, with the hands of the ramah, reish Mem alef. And uh, ramah is the acronym for Rabbi Moshe Isilis, who was the ramah. So, you know, we, we, our yoytzi, our obligations, we fulfill our halachic obligations with the hand of the ramah, of Rabbi Moshe Isilis. What happened was that, um, we actually discussed this a little bit last week, because last week was the yosad of the Rif, Rabbi Saq al-Fasi, He was the first of the greats, of the great Rishonim, to write a summary of the Halachas, of the Halachic discussions in the Talmud, in the Gomorrah. And quite soon after that, the Rambam did the same and the Rosh did the same. And then 500 years later, um, we had the Shulchan Aruch and the Ramo. Now, the Shulchan Aruch was written by Rabbi Yosef Carroll. He was living in Svat at the time, and he was um he was in correspondence with Rav Moshe Ishles who was his junior Rav Moshe Ishles the Rav was born in 1520 um, and the Shurnak was uh, already a man of of uh, 32 years old when the Rav was born and they were in correspondence because they were two the two greatest halachic authorities of the time one was for the Sephardi world Rav Yosef Karo was a Sfardi rabbi, and one was for the Ashkenazi world in Europe, which was the Ramah of Moshe Ishilus. And they would write to each other with different halakhic questions, different halakhic discussions. Um, and, uh, And actually, you know, the world is such a different place. So back then, it took eight months for the letters to reach each other so they would write a letter and post the letter it would take eight months to read from from Poland to Sfat in Eretz Israel and vice versa. Unbelievable today. We send a whatsapp and uh, Less than a second we communicate to people all over the world to thousands of people all over the world um, so What happened was the the Rav Yosef Karo told Rav Moshe Isserles that he is writing a code of Jewish law, which is a summary of all the halachas, of all of the laws that are relevant for our um, living as a Jew in, in, in the world. And which is obviously was something that was greatly needed because people didn't ha- have any more the time or the, the ability to go through all of the halakhic discussions in the, in, in the Talmud and then come to the conclusions. They needed a, a summary of those discussions and a um, halachic work that would decide what the halacha is. In every given area. So when the Aruch, Rabbi Yosef Kara sent this letter and the Ramar received the letter, he almost fell over because he was doing exactly the same thing. And he had a massive decision to make in his life. What would he now do with that information? Please stay with us. We'll share the answer when we return.
0: is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny saxteen on 101.9 High FM.
1: We're discussing the great and holy Ramar of Moshe Ischeles. He was born in 1520 in Krakow in Poland. He was the rabbi in Krakow in Poland. And he was... He came up with this novel idea, which was an idea that the other great rabbi of the time, Rav Moshev Karo also, Rav Yosef Karo also came up with, and that was writing a code of Jewish law. Summarizing and simplifying just the p'sak halacha, the final halachic um, requirement, as opposed to all the discussions and and um, explanations behind halachas, which would be vital and critical for the future of the Jewish people of Kla Yisrael. And when when Rav Yosef Karo sent this, his letter to Rav Moshe Islis saying that he had re, he had done that and would almost completed his codification of of the Jewish law. So the Ramah nearly fell over because he was doing the same thing. And so what was the Ramah now to do? Obviously, he um, he uh, deferred to the senior, which was Rav Yosef Karo, who was older than him. And. Um, but he could easily have said, okay, you've written your book, the Shulchan Aruch, so I will write my own book. And your book, as we discussed last week, that the Shulchan Aruch, the, the teachings, the final halachic decisions of Rabbi Yosef Karo, came from a majority of the, he, he looked at three classic works, the Rif, whose Yotala was last week, the Rambam and the Rosh, Rabbeinu Asher. Rabbeinu Asher was an Ashkenazi rabbi in Europe, and the Rambam and, and the Reef were Sfadi Rabbonim. Um, so, the, so the decisions of the Shulchan Aruch came from the majority of those three. If there was a disagreement, he would take the majority, and that's what his halacha would be. So it would be very easy for the Ramo to say, okay, since two of those Rabbonim were Sfadi Rabbonim, and they bring the Sfadi tradition, Sfadi, Sfadi customs, and Sfadi um, understanding of the law. Um, so I'll base my book on the Ashkenazi traditions and the Ashkenazi methodology of learning and understanding based on the Rosh and based on what the Ashkenazi do. So there would then be a book Sfadim, the, Sfadi, the, the, the uh, Jewish law codified for the Sfadi world and the Jewish law codified for the Ashkenazi world. But and as an act of unbelievable humility, just it's it's staggering, his unbelievable humility, there are more Um, Decided that he would keep to he would follow the Shulchan Aruch the work of Rav Yosef Karo, and when there was a difference when there was a change when there was a deviation for the Ashkenazim He would just then write a note at the end of the halacha that was written by the Shulchan Aruch and he called he, he didn't then have an alternative safer, but rather he made notes on the Shulchan Aruch, he called that the Mapa. So in other words, the Shulchan Aruch is the set table and the Mapa is the tablecloth. In other words, when there's any changes, he included them. And therefore, by doing that act of unbelievable humility, he instantly unified the Jewish world for future generations. So it means now that Klal Yisrael universally studied the Shulchan Aruch. And the Shulchan Aruch has, as a part of it, the, the notes. He actually says Hagar, which is a note, the notes of the Ramah. And therefore, we all are united by the psakim, by the decisions, and by the teachings of the Shulchan Aruch. And when there are any changes for the Ashkenazim, that's included as well. So it was a, an incredible act of humility because, you know, if imagine... Um, being the author of such a mammoth work, of a work of such importance and of such incredible scholarship um, to be able to do what both Rav Yosef Karo and the Ramot did was just unbelievable. We, we call Rav Yosef Karo the Beis Yosef because he, his commentary actually on the Rambam is called the Beis Yosef and then he wrote the Shulchan Aruch based on that. So for the, the they're just works of, uh, words fall short of describing the, incredible scholarship and knowledge and brilliance of these two individuals to be able to do that. And for the remark to say okay, I will defer to the Shulchan Aruch and I won't publish my own separate book, but rather we'll just make notes on the Shulchan Aruch um, was an act of, he knew that would be good for Kelal Yisrael. He knew that that would be ensure that we all learn the Shulchan Aruch together. We all follow the same the same um, line and the the same structure and framework of halacha and with some nuances that he would, he would include. So it was really incredible an incredible investment into the uh, future of the Jewish people, an act of incredible selflessness and putting himself aside and his ego aside and his own scholarship aside and rather um, making a decision that would be the best for client Israel, which is, is something that to this day, we, marvel at that unbelievable act of humility and altruism of Rav Moshe Isserles of the Ramah. Um, and therefore, so, so still to this day, if you want to be a rabbi, you learn certain parts of the Shulchan Aruch, if you want to be a Dayan, you learn other parts of the Shulchan Aruch, it's, it's all the Shulchan Aruch. You might have heard the famous Dirshu program, where we learn one section. The Shulchan Aruch is four sections. So for Dirshu, we learn the Mishnah which is the Chovetz Chaim, commentary on the one section, which is called Orachayim, which deals with the laws that cover the daily living of a Jew. Um, so the so the entire Shulchan Aruch is now one sefer that all of Klal study, and it's we we part of the the same system and framework, which is just incredible. It's unbelievable, and it's it's really saved Klal as a result. And uh, therefore we admire and respect and praise Rav Moshe Isserles for his humility, for his selflessness, and for his dedication to Klai Yisrael, and of course for his scholarship, because the, the the work of the Ramah, of the Mapa, is uh, essential for um, the Jewish world and for our observance of Halacha. And that, so that was really the great contribution of the Ramah. There, there are many stories about him, there are many legends about him. There's many great things he did. He unfortunately died a very young man. He died at the age of 52, which is, uh, I'm 50 years old. It's, it's, in my mind, a very young man, and uh, so he he left the world as a very young man, but his impact was quite remarkable. Um, He lived a difficult life, a tragic life. Um, There were, at those times in in Europe, there were many different um, plagues that uh, caused havoc and great suffering and death in communities around Europe. And there was one such plague in which... Um, his mother died, and then four months later, he, his wife died. His wife was the daughter of his Rebbe. His Rebbe was, was Rav Shalom Shachna. He, he married, his, the Ramon married his daughter Golda, and she died at a very young age, which is very tragic. He was the Rov of, of Krakow, so the community um, were very insistent that he got remarried. It's very unhealthy for a rabbi not to be married because he's dealing with many different um, Shilas and many different issues in the community. And Often they're ladies that have many different issues. So it's not a good idea for a rabbi not to be married. And so the community understood that and he did get remarried, but unfortunately he died at a, a very young age. Um, he died as we said 1572 and actually many people mistakenly say that he only lived 33 years, but that's that's an error. It's a historical error. He actually lived 50 years. The reason why they make the mistake with 33 is because um, he's quite he's he was associated with the number 33. Uh, he wrote 33 Sforim And he died on the 33rd day of the Omer Lagba Omer, which is tonight and he died in the hebrew year 5733 so we see 33 comes up a lot But so there's like a, a common error that people make that he died at three, but he didn't die at 33 He died at the age of 50 um, the Ramar was the nephew of the marshal. Rav Shlomo Luria, the Marshal, was a great Rav in Lublin, and the and his nephew, the Ramal, was the Rav in Krakow, um, and uh, we have interesting chivas, uh, you know, correspondence that they had with each other. The, the Marshal was a very strong, very sharp, very brilliant, very direct person. Didn't hold his punches. The Ramal was much more kind and much more gentle, much more a man of the people, and uh, the Marshal criticizes his nephew to say that. You know, the language he uses in his chubbas, when he answers questions, the way he writes it is in a very simple language, not a sophisticated rabbinic language. So he criticized him for for almost lowering the level of the rabbinate. And uh, the Ramah answers him and he says, I'm sorry, uncle. And I know maybe I'm not grammatically so uh, perfect, but I do like to write in the language of the people so that people will understand. And the people will be able to relate to what I'm writing. That's a very interesting, you know, um, uh, indication of the different personalities of the Mara, of the Ramo, and the Marshal. Um, on his grave, the, the the words, the famous words that actually his uncle wrote on on his grave, it says on the grave, the the gravestone that I've seen of the um, Ramo. It says, Mi Moshe ad Moshe lo kam Moshe. The very powerful words. that say, from Moshe until Moshe, nobody arose like Moshe. Now, those are the same words that are on the grave of the Rambam. The Rambam who's buried in in Tiberias. So, that's, it says the same thing. So, on the Rambam, those words are very clear. Mi Moshe ad Moshe lo kam Moshe. From Moshe Rabbeinu until Moshe ben Maimon. The Rambam, there was nobody like Moshe. In other words, he's like the only one to kind of follow on in in the great footsteps the unbelievable um, way of Moshe Rabbeinu. So when it comes to the Ramor and he was now buried 300 years later and um, 350 years after um, uh, it, it will to be precise exactly 370 years after the Rambam was Nifta. So um, did the Marshall mean on the grave of the Rambam, Moshé at Moshé, L'okan Moshé moshe Rabbeinu, or did he mean the Ramba? Um, so that's an interesting question that we say and ask. But anyway, so so tonight, Lag Ba'Omer, the 18th, which is Chai Eir, is the yotzat of the Great and Holy of Moshe Isilis. Of course, it is also Lag Ba'Omer, and Lag Ba'Omer is a beautiful day. It's a powerful day. It's a very holy and significant day within Klai Israel of course, it's the Yotzite of Rabbi Shimon ba Yochai. Rabbi Shimon ba Yochai lived 2,000 years ago. He, he was born in the year 100 of the Common Era. He died in the year 170 of the Common Era. And he was one of the greatest um, Tanaim. The, that era that he was born into was called the Era of the Tanaim. And it uh, was the times when the Romans destroyed the temple. And um, he criticized the Roman government and he didn't bow to their decrees. The Romans said that uh, Jews could not learn Torah, Jews could not teach Torah. Rabbi Shimon um, did not listen to that, and it was punishable by death. And so he got word that the Romans were looking for him, and they would obviously would crucify him, they would kill him. um, And he went into hiding for 13 years with his son, Rabbi Loza, by Rabbi Shimon. And they lived in a cave, um, a cave in a place called Pekin which is a very far north in Eretz Israel. They've actually been there also place where they say that's where Eretz and and they also were. I'm not sure if it's how accurate that is, but that's the tradition is that it was there. And it's a famous place. There was, um, as the Gemara says, that there was a carob tree that grew. Hashem made the carobs grow and that sustained them. And there was a stream of water nearby. And that's how he and his son lived in order to preserve their lives and hide away from the Romans. And it's at that time that the great wisdom of the Kabbalistic source of the Kabbalistic system um, was taught to Rabbi Shimon, came to Rabbi Shimon. Um, and that is, of course, the, the uh, basis of all Kabbalah, of all Kabbalistic teachings. So Rabbi Shimon was the author of the Zohar. And the Zohar is the classic work of Jewish mysticism. Um, and the secrets of the universe are written inside the Zohar. And uh, the Zohar is really the study of how Hashem runs the world, Hashem, who's infinite and is perfect and is omnipotent, how Hashem runs the system down here, the mechanics of the spheres and of Hashem's influence down in this physical material world. So the Kabbalah is the study of how that works and how the system operates and how Hashem runs the universe. So, obviously, it's not for the faint-hearted, and one needs to have a solid foundation. As the Gemara says, one's belly has to be filled with the meat and potato of the Talmud and of the Poiskin before one's ready for the study of Kabbalah. Um, if a person is not sufficiently grounded, so it won't be a positive experience for them. Firstly, they won't understand what's going on. They'll have like a little bit of a glimpse, but they won't have an appreciation and an ability to grasp the entire system. And uh, also it will end up in destruction because they will, the, the small ideas that they will um, be able to understand will be uh, twisted and will be distorted and will be out of context. So therefore we, the study of Kabbalah is preserved for those that have a solid background. First we build that foundation and then we have the ability to go into um, this kind of study, this kind of uh, learning and uh, you know, so uh, there's no question that Madonna does not understand Kabbalah, although she learns in the learns in the Kabbalah Center and it's all. But that's commercialized, and that is superficial, and that is not at all the real study of Kabbalah. The real study of the Zoran Kabbalah um, comes through the understanding of, uh, of of great scholars and people that have a very deep foundation in the Torah and in Torah law and in the the complete system of how the torah operates um, so rabbi shimon died on this day on Lag amer It's says yotzat and therefore although usually a yotzat is a day of sadness it actually is a day of celebration so please stay with us we'll discuss why we celebrate the yotzat of rabbi shimon vayachai when we return
0: in a moment This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM.
1: We're talking about the great and holy Rabbi Chai, the Tana, who lived two thousand years ago, whose Yot Saturday is tonight and tomorrow on the day of Lag Boomir. Now there's a few different things at play. Firstly, We know that uh, the Omer is the time when we count from second day Pesach all the way until Shavuos. We count count Sheva Shabbasos Timimo, seven complete weeks, as the Torah tells us. And then we have Shavuos, Klai Yisrael, had came out of Egypt and they now counted the 49 days. They counted up until they received the Torah. They were ready to receive the Torah. They had worked on themselves sufficiently to be able to receive the Torah at Mount Sinai, the greatest event in the history of humankind. And... Um, so, that's what we're doing. We're counting now. So, um, last night um, we counted the second, 30, 32nd night um, and so we've been counting from Pesach until we get to Shavuos, which is the 50th. Now, wh- wh- during the time of Sfira, of this time of counting, that's when the Talmudim of Rabbi Akiva died and Rabbi was actually one of the Talmudim of Rabbi Akiva um, But he didn't die. He survived. There were only five of them that survived. The Gemara says The world was desolate until Rabbi Akiva came with the rabbis of the south and list who they are one of them being Rabbi Now the Talmudim died, the Gemara says That they didn't show each other enough honor and covered and therefore, they died of this horrible um, illness called Askara, the Gomorrah says, in which they actually choked. You know, it reminds us of COVID where people couldn't breathe. That's what happened to them. 24,000 Talmudian Rebbe Kiba died, which is just unthinkable. Um, and he only had five left. And through those five, the Torah remained alive and the Torah was transferred. One of them was Rabbi Shun, But we know that on the 33rd on this day, 30 almost, people didn't die. And it, was, it happened to be also the same day that Rabbi uh, Rabbi Shmuel died many years later, so that's when the dying stopped, and that's why, even though we're in the time of which means we observe customs of mourning, we don't um, listen to music, we don't have weddings and simchas at this time, we don't have we don't have haircuts, and uh, we don't shave. Um, and, and, the, the loch of shaving is as long as it won't impinge upon your Parnosa if it's going to cause you to have a financial loss Then you are allowed to but uh, these are the customs of mourning we observe now at this time And it's a bit confusing because there are different customs to when to observe the the time of mourning Some do it from 2nd Pesach until until tonight until Agba Omer some do it from Rosh Chodesh Iyar. Until Shloshimayak, um, balet three days before Shavuos. Some say day Rosh Kodesh until the day before Shavuos. So these three different customs of when to observe them. But everybody knows because the Gemara says that on this day, the thirty-third day of the Omer, which is tonight and tomorrow, that's when the Talmudim didn't die. They didn't die on that day. So some say the dying ended. Some say no, it just stopped and it carried on for a few more days. So we we all observe thirty-three days. The question is, when is those thirty-three days? So that's why everybody across the board we can have weddings tonight and weddings tomorrow and we all celebrate this day of lagmo because the the students stopped dying on that day and they didn't die on the day of like eh? and also because it's the yata regime so although we observe many yacht sites and often you'll hear me talking about your sites and because i like looking at the calendar and seeing his ya is because it's a good opportunity to speak about that great person and it is very appropriate to honor them on the yacht site and to Remember the great com- contribution that they made, but it's not only of historical value. Yotzzeit spiritually too, site is of great significance because, according to our holy tradition, on the site, that's when the Zichuyos, all the merits of that holy person, are um, gathered together. In other words, the, the, there's a um, there's a acknowledgement of the great contribution that that person made on that day, and a person can actually Access that can have a connection to the merits of that righteous person on the day of the yotzat So that's why it's a powerful day and it's not necessarily a sad day But it's also a joyous day because we celebrate the contribution and the life that they that they led So we but more the 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 yotzat that stands out more than any other one in which we celebrate is the yotzat of rabbi shimon because the civil shalom rites because the the rabbi shimon On the day of his yotzat, on the day that he died, he taught many, many secrets to the world, many secrets of Kabbalah, of Kabbalistic secrets to his Talmudim, to his students. Um, And so, and he said, this would always be a day of celebration, because there was, it's a day when great light emanated into the world. So we celebrate that light. And part of the greatness of Rabbi Shimon, so since it's Lagba Omer coming, we'll talk a little bit about some Kabbalistic things, which we don't usually talk about, but uh, it is appropriate for Lagba Omer. And when Siva says, that the Holy Svarim say that Rabbi Shimon was actually a Gilgul of Moshe Rabbeinu. He was a reincarnation of the Neshama of the soul of Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu's great ability was to see everybody and to connect to every Jew and to really be able to shine his light even in the darkest places. So even if there was a Jew who was estranged and who was not, yeah, and, and that's part of what why Hashem chose Moshe because he saw how he cared for the sheep and even there was one that that strayed He made great effort to get it back So Moshe Rabbeinu was like that with clay. So even there was a Jew that had gone off the path and a Jew that was living a life of Darkness and was not connected to Torah. Moshe was able to shine his light even in those dark places and Rabbi Shimon was the same the great light of Rabbi Shimon would, could reach has the capacity to reach every single Jew, no matter who they are, and no matter where they may be. And that is part of the celebration of Lagba Omer, is the light of Rabbi Shimon reaching all of Klan Yisrael. And we all want to bask in that light. We all want to connect to that light. So as I said, on your side, we have the ability to connect to the to the merits of a righteous person. So certainly on Lagba Omer, we try and connect to the light of Rabbi Shimon. And that's why we light fires. We light fires because it represents the light that Rabbi Shimon brought into the world. And uh, be careful if you're lighting fires, they are dangerous and don't be irresponsible. But there is a custom to light a fire and to sing around the fire because this, the, the light of the fire represents the glow of the Holy Soul of Rabbi Shimon, which we all have a, a access to, which we all have a part of and a shaykhist to. And um, the Siva Shalom continues and says that just as Moshe Rabbeinu brought us the revealed Torah, The Chumash, the Chumash Torah from Mount Sinai, Rabbi Shimon brought us the hidden Torah, the Torah Shil Nistar, the Kabbalistic wisdom of the Torah. And we celebrate on this day that great light of the Kabbalistic wisdom of the Torah, which is really the reason behind everything that we do. Everything that we do in Israel and in Judaism, uh, which we've been talking about the Ramah also. Ramah was also a great Kabbalist, that all the halachas we follow have their roots in the Kabbalistic wisdom. Everything that a Jew does is rooted in the way the Kabbalistic system works and the way Hashem creates the world, has created the world, continues to give life to creation and um, the way we access Hashem's light in creation. So that's what Kabbalah is, the, the study of that. And all halacha, all of our observances are based on that, are rooted in that, are built around that system and that framework. So um, it's very uh, appropriate on the outside of the Ramor that we also talk about the Kabbalistic wisdom because Rabbi Shimon brought that light into the world of Kabbalah, a light that we all try and reach out to and access and celebrate over. So those are the celebrations of Lag Boomer. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment.
0: This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxstein on 101.9 High FM.
1: What we'd end off with an idea from this week's Parsha that we're going to be reading. We're Pasha's Parsha's Bahar. Parsha's Bahar tells us about the laws of Shmita, the laws of Uh, What we call the sabbatical year in Eretz Israel and that's this year. This year in Israel is the Shemitah year. Shemitah is the commandment from God that six years We can work the fields. It only applies to the fields in Israel in Eretz Israel. Six years We work the fields in Israel and we harvest from them and enjoy the crop and the seventh year We don't have the ability. We don't have permission to work the land. The seventh year. We leave the land. It's a sabbatical year. And what is this principle of shmita, and what does it teach us? Shmita is really about bitachon, trusting in Hashem. It teaches us the unbelievable lesson that we have a, a very delicate balance in our lives. That on the one hand we are supposed to be involved in the world, we're supposed to be um, take responsibility for ourselves and for our families and for our communities. We can't just sit back and say, "Well, you know." God will provide, God runs the world. That's not the Jewish approach. The Jewish approach is each individual has to step up and take responsibility and do what needs to be done to provide for their family and to ensure that um, and and both physically and spiritually take responsibility for themselves and for their lives and for their families and for their community. But although we are supposed to very... um, very, I don't want to use the words aggressively because it's a pejorative, but we're supposed to be very enthusiastic and energetic in our Involvement in this world and providing for our families. So we call his But on the other hand, we know that the results all come from Hashem. So though we put in the effort and we put in the effort Because it's, it's like we partners with Hashem that that it's dependent on us We still know the results are from Hashem, which is quite a subtle sophisticated concept and a delicate idea and that's shown very clearly in the schmitter that the farmer works his land or her land works the land very very intently very very with uh, to, to to be a farmer uh, it used to be that you know society was based on an agrarian economy today with the industrialization of the modern world so we don't really understand that so well but you know i'm, I'm sure we, we know farming or farmers or so have some sort of appreciation, but to be a farmer is a very, very difficult thing. And it takes a tremendous amount of effort and hard work and planning and blood and sweat and tears. And then, you know, there are many, many elements that are unknown. We rely very highly on the weather, which so the farmer actually has a direct connection with Hashem. But even though the farmers worked the land so hard for these six years and hopefully has been successful, seventh year he stops. Because he knows it's from Hashem. So although Judaism is a religion that we can't rely on miracles, al al you prohibit it in Judaism to rely on a miracle. We have to live in this world and follow the laws of nature and the laws of economics and the laws of of uh, of finance. That's that's reality, and we have to live in reality, and we can't rely on a miracle. But the Torah tells us that seventh year no working the land. Seventh year we remind ourselves that Hashem is in control, which is a, a very powerful concept. And it's the same thing. Six days we work in the week. Seventh day we abstain from creative activities. Seventh day the phones go off, the computers go off, and we it's Hashem's day. Seventh day we surrender to Hashem. So that's a powerful concept within Judaism that God runs the world. Yes, so so let's give a very clear example that I heard this from Rabbi Berkowitz. There's a a surgeon and the surgeon has to go into the surgery like it's entirely dependent on him and the way he or she um does the operation is going to determine the health of this individual Uh, so if the surgeon goes in and says well you know god runs the world and i'll just like close my eyes and take a guess so obviously that person should be a surgeon that's highly irresponsible so although the surgeon behaves in a way that it's entirely up to them they still have to know that Hashem decides about life and death. That's it, it really is in the hands of Hashem. So there's that delicate balance that exists for all of us in our lives. And that's what the Shemitah comes to tell us. So even if we're not farmers, or we don't have farms, or we don't have land, we still realize that God. we think about it, that God runs the world, and we put in our 100% effort, but the outcome and the result is Min Hashemahim is from Hashem. So this is the view. This is the outlook. This is the approach of a Jew. And this is how Hashem wants us to see the world, wants us to live, and wants us to see the reality of our lives around us. Thank you so much for listening. Wishing everybody uh, and have a wonderful day.